Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazda. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Wow, everybody, what an awesome episode. Just interviewed Tim Elmore. Uh, you're gonna, this guy is a leadership expert, been doing leadership development for over 40 years. Works with John C. Maxwell and uh, John C. Maxwell's company. And he has a new book coming out right now, but we talk about his, his, when his bestseller sold over 2.4 million uh, copies of Habitudes, uh, Leadership Habits and Attitudes and, and Images that, that Form That. Um, and we also talk about his new book, uh, All Around Diversity, New Diversity in the Workplace, how generation gaps and how we can get the five different generations that are in the workplace to work better together. And really, I mean, we go down a bunch of rabbit holes, really entertaining guy, really fun. Uh, anyone that, that is leading people needs to listen to this podcast uh, to learn more about how you can be a better leader with all the different generations you're working with. All right. Hope you enjoy. Stay tuned. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde, and boy, do we have an amazing guest. My friend, Tim Elmore, is in the house. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Darius. Great to be with you. I'm so pumped to have you here. So, Tim, you know, I know you're new to the show, but I always like to tell our new listeners that The Greatness Machine, we're really about two things. We're about people living their passions and those creating greatness in the world, and you, my friend, are neither short of passion nor greatness, so I am so excited (laughs) to have you here. Um, you know, I, I want to give a little bit of background on how we connected. Do you, do you mind if I, if I give a couple of snippets here and there? Does that work for you? Please. Yeah, that'd be great. Go for it. So we, you know, my team is always on the lookout and, and we're out there reaching out to people left and right. Noah, our producer of our show, she's the queen of, of hitting people up to see if they'll be on the show. So we, we hit up John C. Maxwell to see if he'd be a guest on the show. And his team came back and said, you know, John, John can't do the show right now. But we have a couple individuals that do work with John in multiple different ways. And you really should consider having them on the show. So they gave us a list. You don't know any of this, by the way. But they gave us a list. And we read through and we're like, nope, 
nope. Oh, he looks interesting. And it was you and one other gentleman. Okay. <laughs> and, All right. And so, and so we reached back out. We said, you know what? Like, Tim looks really interesting. We'd love to have him on the show. And that's actually where it came to be. You know, we, we you know, I, 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 not to say there's anything wrong with the other folks, but we were really interested in the work you're doing. You're doing some amazing work with leaders and leadership in the world today. And I'm, I'm super excited to have you here. So thank you so much for coming to be a part of the show. I am honored to be with you. This I look forward to this very tantalizing conversation myself. This will be fun. <laughs> so uh, if you don't mind, I want to give a little bit of your formal background. Um, so uh, for listeners, so one of the reasons we wanted Tim here is Tim is doing a ton of work in leadership. And for those of you that have listened to the show a lot, you know that I am a leadership fanatic. Uh, Tim is the founder and CEO of Growing Leaders, an Atlanta-based nonprofit created to develop emerging leaders. He has served and has worked with John, uh, Dr. John C. Maxwell since 1983, parted ways, and now is coming back to do a ton of new work with John and, and the Maxwell organization. Uh, leading expert in emerging generation and generational diversity in the workplace. We're going to learn all about what that means in just a few moments here. Man, worked. you've spoken to over half a million leaders, worked with some of the top companies like Chick-fil-A, Coca-Cola, Home Depot, and you are a very accomplished author. And I myself, having authored one book, know that that's a heck of a lot of work. Um, and you have a new book launching this fall, so I can't wait to learn more about that. As well as you've written over 35 books, one of which Habitudes, Images That Form Leadership Habits and Attitudes. Man, you're a busy guy. Yeah, I I, I am. And I, I, I wrote my very first book in 1984. I was 24 years old. Should not have written a book. Who writes a book at 24? I want to apologize to everybody that read that book and say, I'm so sorry. I did not know what I'm doing. But I got bit by the bug. You know, you just, once you do it, it is like giving birth to a baby. It's labor pains and everything else. But I so fell in love with the fact that you could put words in print and then go fly somewhere, meet somebody. They tell you you changed their life and you've never met them before. But it was because there was a resource created along the way. So, um, yeah, I, I love to write and I love to meet people. And we're going to have fun today, Darius. It's, it's going to be a blast. Oh, I'm so excited. So so I learned when I wrote my first book, I, I wrote a book called The Core Value Equation, which is how do you build a core value driven organization, which I know is a big deal with a lot of the work you all do in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I, I didn't realize it, but the publisher said, you know, the word author comes from authority. It means that you're an authority on a subject. So yeah. I got to ask, I got to ask. And, and, and as everyone who listens to the show knows, knows that I am like a geek about origin story. So I want to learn the origin story. But before we go to your origin story, when you're 24 years old, and, and you know, we're, we're both Gen Xers. So we're, we was this pre-millennial. So I, I mean, you know, now everyone's a, a, an authority, irregardless or regardless of age. Yes. So yes. what were you the authority on at the ripe young age of 24 that you felt the well, need to author? I, I know. <laughs> well, I was asked to write a book by the publisher. And um, it was because I was working with university students at the time uh, in a department under John Maxwell's uh, leadership. And we, I was at San Diego State University, and um, I had developed a leader development program that was really working for 18 to 22-year-olds. So okay. um, they said, talk to us about this. And I was only like a hair older than them, but had really begun to connect with students. I was like a big brother, I guess, in a sense in my relationship to these college students. So um, it was it was a book called Caring for the Call, Those Who Felt Called to Lead. How do you develop them as young adults and young professionals? So anyway, that was the origin story on that. And I really 
love young people. I'm now no longer young, but um, I still love the emerging generation. I've now seen four generations come through in my career of 42 years. And so uh, love what I get to do. Yeah, it's a privilege. I love it. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if you're 24, you're definitely an authority on 18 to 22. <laughs> like you, <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, like listen, no one has done 18 to 22 better than a 24 year old. I, I got to say that. Yeah, At least you've been right. there. That's right. That. And so, you have so, a memory of what it was like. So exactly, anyway. you you were just there. Yeah. <laughs> like that's like right. you barely you barely got out out you barely grown outside those clothes. Um, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so Absolutely. wait, you said. Would you say San Diego State? Is that where it was? Or what? Yeah. Where? Oh, so yeah, are you San from Diego California State. originally? Not originally, but I spent twenty years of my life in California. So. Oh, yeah. okay. I'm a Southern Californian originally. I live in. Ah. But we're both we're both Southerners now. I live in I live in Austin. Um, yeah. So, right. But, but, okay. but, so go Aztecs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I I I I was I went to UC Santa Barbara and UC Davis. So, but but I, oh, but I had beautiful. a lot of friends that. Yeah, so you know, but San Diego is pretty darn good. It's like 275 days of sunshine a year, so you can't complain. It's about true, that. that's right. <laughs> we were spoiled, so, yeah, to- super spoiled. Uh, so take us back. I'd love to hear the origin story. Um, like what got you down this road of of, of leadership and, and into this yeah. world of leadership that you're in, that you've been in for so long? Well, I started teaching students 1979, 1980, that school year. And um, I was finishing up my degree, but I was needed as a teacher assistant. So I jumped in, fell in love with the idea of teaching young people. In fact, I would say that's when I decided I want to spend my career with the next generation, even though I was still part of the emerging generation at that time. Fast forward four years, 1983, went on staff with John Maxwell, and I began to see the value of leadership development. So the, I, I married the idea of teaching young people and doing leader development together. And I began to see, oh my gosh, if we could not only help these kids graduate, but help them graduate with a leadership mindset where they think bigger than just their own life. And they, 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 they understand the value of adding value to people. Oh my gosh, OMG, you know? So yeah. through the 80s and 90s, I really just, that's what I gave myself to. Uh, Xers were coming through. Millennials had just begun to be born and they were coming through the ranks and so forth. So um, I, I started growing leaders in 2003, about 20 years ago, with the whole idea of can I do for this emerging generation that John Maxwell was doing for corporate leaders and established leaders. And so growing leaders is all about that. How do we find ways to connect with millennials and Gen Zers? And now, now the alpha generation is coming up. Uh, how do we yeah. do this and how do we better connect with them? So it's my joy. I really mean this. It sounds cliche. It is my passion to find ways to connect with these kids that could be my children now. I'm old enough to, to be their dad or their granddad and still find ways to put timeless principles in their hands that they can use in their own life. What? Um, so when you, you, you started doing this work, teaching, and then it led to leaders, yeah. leadership, explain like so growing leaders you started it said almost 20 years ago um but you start you were doing leadership you know as you said when you're 24 you developed a leadership yeah. program was it through this like teaching and working with like as a i guess as an educator so were you an educator is that correct yeah it was both both an educator that was my first step into leadership and although i was teaching subjects besides leadership my love became leadership development 
my work with John was through both a nonprofit and a church. John was a pastor, you know, for a right. while, and it was in San Diego. So um, it's a lot of nonprofit work in there where people followed you but didn't get paid to follow you. I think leading a nonprofit is the acid test of leadership because people are volunteering. They're not getting paid to lead, you know, to follow you. So I, I really feel like I cut my teeth in that arena. And then, of course, I've led, you know, companies and, 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 and other nonprofits where we're partnering with, uh, like you said, Delta or Coca-Cola or Chick-fil-A. And we're doing consulting and coaching and leadership development there as well. So it's kind of been a different circles that I've um, learned to kind of cut my teeth and learn how to lead lead folks and then do leader development with them. So and let me so let me ask you a question. Like having spent, you know, sounds like your entire career really, I guess, passionate about leaders and leadership. What what is your def like when you think of leadership? What is your definition of leadership? You know, John has said, John Maxwell said for years, leadership is influence, no more, no less. I think that's a good working definition to help people break out of the mold of thinking you got to have a badge or a title or a position. But I go a, a little bit in a, in a little bit slightly different direction. I want to see a new generation of young leaders who know how to solve problems and serve people. Solve problems and serve people. So I know that's not probably an exhaustive definition, but when I talk to a, let's say a high school principal or a college dean, and I say, wouldn't you love to see your school graduating kids that know how to solve problems? So they go, absolutely. That's what we need today. You know, we, we're so polarized right now. Good grief. And we're so divisive, I think. I think we just need to focus on say, how can you find a problem that needs to be solved and serve people in that arena using your gifts that's what I think we we need more of in the world, and so that's what we're doing at at Growing Leaders. So I, I have a mentor. Uh, his name is Rand Stegan, and 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 he runs Stegan uh, Leadership Institute in Dallas. And you know he he has a saying about about this that what you're talking about right now, where he says the problem we have right now is that we have level five problems, and when we have level three leaders. Wow. Right. And so, so that we have, we're, we're in this world right now. And then the program he teaches is integral leadership, right? Which is how do you take all these different types of leaders and all these different types of people with all these different mindsets and histories and backgrounds, especially in the United States of America, where we're a melting pot. Right. And how do you get them to, to your point, solve problems when they're not necessarily seeing things the same way? And how do you get yeah. them to serve each other when maybe they don't want to serve each other, when they don't see, again, when they don't agree that, oh, that's the, that serves my community the way I want it to without it yeah. affecting your community? Well, yeah, what, how, do you, how do you think about that when, you, when you're teaching leadership or when you're working with leaders? Like, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, when I'm in a, a, a corporate setting or even a university setting, a state university, I usually go to research. And without going long into this, uh, when studies are done on human happiness or human uh, purpose, you know, where we have a great deep sense of purpose, it's usually tied back to those two things that I just mentioned, solving problems and serving people. We have adrenaline and endorphins and serotonin running through our veins when we have solved a problem. I just think the human machine was designed to solve problems. We are problem solvers in, in our innate nature. We're not narcissistic in our innate nature. Although we feed that all the time, we are, we are designed to serve people. When I serve other people, Darius, I have my greatest sense of fulfillment. 
and satisfaction. When I solve problems for other people and for myself, no doubt, I, I, I am deeply satisfied. So I usually share that and people generally do what you're doing right now. You're nodding, going, yep, that's true. That is, that is so mm-hmm. true. So I'm just saying, instead of getting caught up in myself throughout my life and my selfie that I just took and posted, if I get caught up in finding out what do people need around me and how can I be a part of that solution with my gift, with my, my talent, now I'm, I'm, I'm really onto something. Most people get that right away. And if I just kind of pivot, help them pivot to looking at, at, at outward instead of inward, now, we, uh, now we're off and running. I love that. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now, and let me tell you, They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life. Canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let me ask a question because you're touching on something that I think, I don't know if it's helping or hurting the, the current state of the leadership yeah. that, in, in the world. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you're a leading expert on emerging generation and generational diversity. We ta- You mentioned that earlier that we look at the millennials, yeah. the Gen Xs, the Gen yeah. Zs, now the Gen Alpha, my, my son's a Gen yeah. Alpha. Um, yeah. and, and so we have different types of people, different expectations brought up differently. And but but yeah, we're trying to solve probably the, one of the most complex worlds we've ever lived in's problems. You know, how do you see that over your years? How have you seen the different? I guess is there a different style of leadership that's emerging, or what are you seeing in, from a generational standpoint that's really changed the way that yeah. you think we need to approach the world today? Yeah, absolutely, great question. So I have two things, two things going through my mind right now. One is I do think the acceptable style or approach to leadership has changed over the last 60, 70 years. I I think anybody with a cursory viewpoint would say, absolutely. So if you go back to the 50s and 60s, you know, some 60, 70 years ago, uh, there was an acceptable style of leadership that I would call the military commander style. Uh, It was just an approach that was very top down. You know, it was a Dwight Eisenhower, JFK, even the presidency of the United States came from military backgrounds. So the core value was loyalty. You stayed in that company for all your career, and then you got a gold watch and you go play golf, you know, that sort of thing. As we moved into the 60s and 70s, that uh, was a leader as a CEO. Now it's a style, not a, not at a position, but you, you began to see that people weren't as loyal as they once were. They moved around a bit, and now you had to lead through casting vision. So even if you didn't like the leader, you loved the vision and you stayed with the organization if it was cast well. Uh, key value was productivity, okay? You moved into the 80s, and I think the, the, the approach to leadership had to change again. And it was the leader as an entrepreneur. If you think about the 1980s, so many new innovations hit the, hit the marketplace. And so companies wanted to be a bunch of entrepreneurs, and, and we were inventing we were creating look at the steve jobs and the and the bill gates at the time okay so now the key key core value was innovation we wanted to be the first one out the term cutting edge became a thing in the 1980s by the 1990s gen x had entered the workplace for the first time and now it was the leader as a coach people did not want a leader in an ivory tower they wanted a leader that was touchable and and could be you know, interacted with and, and, and touched each day. So the leader is a coach, often player coach, you know, type of feel. And, and so the core value was teamwork uh, at that time. As we moved into the 21st century, I believe it was a leader as a connector. I think we were on the internet at this point and we wanted a leader that I could connect with and, and, and connect to. So that became the, 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 the metaphor but I think today I'm getting, I'm taking a long time. I'm so sorry to get to this. No, play. no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm just like absorbing everything you're saying. Please continue. Okay. I think there's a devil metaphor that I use today that describes the leader that Gen Z so 
desperately wants but may not know how to ask for. It's the leader as a poet gardener, a poet gardener. Now, let me let me drill down on those two metaphors. The leader as a poet is the person that realizes I need to read the culture before I lead the culture. So just like a good poet looks out at what's happening in the society that they're about to write about, and they write words that everybody reads and goes, oh my God, that's exactly what I'm feeling. The poet has written what I'm feeling. Isn't that the sign of a good poem? You go, oh my gosh, that girl, that guy just said what I'm feeling. So the leader's a poet puts a team of people together. It's a team of leaders, not a team of followers, a team of leaders. They would be silly to assume that they have all the answers themselves. But listening to that team, air ideas and voice opinions and thoughts and so forth, they're plucking from this team and then saying, ah, here's what I'm hearing you say. And when they cast vision, they everybody's going, yes, yes, that's it. You're a wordsmith and you just said what I'm feeling. That's the poet. The gardener metaphor, Darius, is the person that would say, I realize that the primary function, not the only function, but the primary function of my, my work is to develop or grow the people under my care. Mm. So just like a gardener goes after that soil and says, I got to pull those weeds and I got to fertilize that ground and I got to water that ground and I give, give it sunshine. This leader is growing the people under her or his charge. If we will be poet gardeners, I think we're going to be magnetic to the emerging generation just magnetic and it may not be such a fight for talent it will be people will be beating down the doors because that's what they that's the environment they want to live in is a poet gardener so that was be that would be my long answer to a short question there oh uh, that was an amazing um, amazing answer but by the way um i, I went I, I developed my purpose statement and <laughs> which i'm going to tell it to you right now i might butcher it okay. a little bit because i don't I don't have it verbatim in front of me, but I had written this after one year of thinking about it and doing a bunch of work. And it was, yeah. I want to live a poetic life, a life huh. where I help, where I am engaged and help others around me to become more engaged. Oh my goodness. You have, which is basically, what I, just said. I, I yeah. swear to God, I'm not lying to you. <laughs> that is, that is my, that's my, my why. Wow. Wow. Interesting. So, so, yeah, that's total poet gardener, by the way. Jesus, like, yeah, like who, it really is. Who would have? Wow. Okay. Well, well, <laughs> I, well we're done. We don't. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You no, we're done. picked up. Uh, your intuition got it, and that mine was based on you know interviews with leaders in different generations and so forth. But um, that's so interesting that you just picked that up just from your, yeah, your intuition, your 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 uh, your spirit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was really just what I like, you know, I'm, I'm half Persian and per, and Persian is uh, the Persians are very poetic people, right? They, they, they yeah, speak yeah. far, far sees a poetic language. Yeah, I've always been right. drawn to work to words. Um, and I'm like, I'm a, I'm like a coach person. Like I was a D one yeah, wrestler yeah. and I would always work with younger people and I like developing leaders. Anyway, what you just said, I was like, Oh, that's why I, I don't feel like I guess that's why I feel like I can lead lots of different type, types of people. Yeah. I never thought yeah. about it in turn and what, like what the way you said it. So it's interesting. My next question for you, but you like, okay. you literally just pulled that out of me, like without even knowing it um, is, you know, I believe, and I wrote a book. My book is completely about this. My belief is that in, uh, forget about my belief for a, for a second core values. And I think core values are a really important part of what you're talking about. Um, yeah. Core values yeah. are, 
if you look them up in the dictionary is the fundamental beliefs of a, of a person or organization. Yeah. And, and my book that I wrote was essentially said that core values have the opportunity to become the language of accountability for a person or organization, mm-hmm. right? Like what, yeah. what can, can you create this thing and make it come to life because of what you believe in? Right. And what I heard you just say is that's the poetic side. So I'd love to hear your yeah. thoughts on how do core values interplay with this idea of being the po- poetic? Cause I get the Gardner side. The gar- Gardner yeah. is, yeah. Hey, what's Growing in it for people. me, boss? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Are you right. going to grow me yeah. or not? Right. But, yeah. but, but the, but I think listeners may not fully, you know, comprehend, like, how do I use my words to connect with people? And, and what I heard you say, I was like, oh, that's easy. Go figure out your core values and then go find people that believe what you believe, mm-hmm. make that the language of the organization and go develop those yeah. people so that they're adding value and you're adding value to them. But I'd love to hear yeah. your thoughts on this. Absolutely. So um, I wouldn't have to walk very far in the building I'm sitting in right now to show you a wall that lists and uh, describes our core values. We have six. One of them is make it better. We want to every year feel like we have made not only the, our partners and clients better, but we have become better ourselves. So one of our habitude images is attached to each one of our core values. So they are make it better. Another one, you'll love this one, turn up the fun. We feel like that growing as a leader ought to be fun. Um, that may not be what anybody else thinks, but we just think you just, it's just going to lubricate it when it's, when it's fun to do. Uh, another one is, uh, let's see, make it better, turn up the fun. Uh, another one is, um, uh, it's all on ownership. Uh, in fact, it's sign your name. Uh, just like an artist signs her name or his name to a painting, and they don't sign it until it's done, until they're proud of it. So we, every task you do, you ought to be able to sign your name to that and say, I'm proud of this. I couldn't do it any better. You know, that mm, sort of thing. I like that. Uh, so anyway, those are just some examples. But what we've done, we because we teach leadership with images, habitudes are images that form leadership habits and attitudes. We place one of our images. So the image we put next to sign your name is uh, drivers and passengers. Think about this, Darius. You hop into a car with a different mindset based on whether you're the driver or the passenger. If you're the mm-hmm. passenger, you may be hopping in the back seat, putting your earbuds in, listening to music, waving to friends out the window, looking at billboards. But when you're behind the wheel, you're, you're telling those people in the back seat to shut up because you can't think straight. You know, you, you know, I got to do this here. You got to turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, get to the destination. We want to build drivers, not passengers in life. Passengers are fine, but drivers are thinking about what they got to do to get to that destination. And they're not blaming somebody else when they didn't get to the destination. So again, mm. it's, it's just a simple concept, but it's what you would want to teach your children one day. You got to own this thing. Don't, don't be a passenger in life, be a driver. So anyway, that's just a quick, quick answer uh, to, to how we try to attach imagery and words to these core values. And they are everything to us. We look at them afresh every Monday morning when we start our week. We look at our core values, our mission and our vision, and then we're off to the races. I love that. Yeah, I, I call that core value symbolism what you're talking about, yeah. which, which yeah. that's a way to describe it in my book. But um, I want to talk about your book. So habitudes, images that form uh, leadership habits and attitudes. T- t- so tell us about that. When was, when did you write that book? And obviously you start yeah. talking a little bit about it now, but give us some background on the book. Cause that's, that's a really big deal that, of a book that you wrote and it's gotten a lot yeah. of acclaim. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. Well, um, I was, uh, I was a double major in college. One of my majors was commercial art. I was there on an art scholarship so imagery has always meant a big deal to been a big deal to me. 
throughout the 80s and 90s, I would teach leadership and I would use a metaphor or an image. Once PowerPoint came out, I started using PowerPoint. But um, I noticed that the listeners would say, I don't remember everything, everything you said, but I remember the picture you showed us or I remember the metaphor that you showed us or the story you told us. And I started realizing that's what they remembered. It wasn't the three points or the six ideas or the six steps. It was the imagery. So I started anchoring the big ideas I was sharing, Darius, with, with pictures. And then I remembered or, or that I started realizing this is what they're getting. So Habitudes, the very first Habitude book came out. It was two decades in the making, really. But um, Habitudes book one uh, came out in 2000. I wrote it in 2003. It came out in February of 2004. And uh, it's now sold 2.4 million copies. So wow. I realized I was on to something. I don't think I said anything new, but I framed it in a new way. Here was an image of an iceberg. Here was an image of a starving baker. Here was an image of drivers and passengers. Here was an image of thermostats and thermometers. And all of these images were simple, simple, simple to understand, but very profound to practice. And um, it's been sold to young leaders mostly. You know, some old have bought it too, but young leaders. And now there are 10 Habitude books and now it's digital, it's online, blah, blah, blah. But I have had so much fun developing metaphors to represent big ideas that we all know are true, but maybe a young person will remember it because it was a picture. Are you defining the, so that, so I'm assuming that there's different habits and attitudes, as you call them, habitudes that are, that are, that, that you would define or or your book would define to be as a good leader, right? And you just named a couple of them. Are you yes. then giving them the image or is this about them creating their own or is this about you saying, no, here are the habitudes that I promote and here's an image that you can associate with that habitude? It's both and. So we start with offering some imagery to a, you know, a 15 year old that would go, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm, you know, I'm trying, trying to figure out who I am. So we first offer a set of images, but we have schools sending me uh emails and, 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 and they're posting on social and direct messaging where they've coming up with, they're coming up with their own now. So it's so much fun to get students sending me stuff. And I've got, Oh my gosh, I would have never thought about that myself. Cause I'm not 16 anymore. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm old, but um, it's so much fun. But so, yeah, we do start with us offering them, but you know what? Pictures are worth a thousand words, no doubt about it. And so it gets student engagement along the way because we're talking about an image. I, here's what I say all the time to teachers. Pictures beat lectures. Pictures beat lectures. Pictures beat lectures every day. So um, anyway, we're, we're, we're seeing now them developing their own. And of course, I love that because they're taking ownership now of their own growth. And that's ultimately what we want. Um, so, you know, when we were researching having you on the show, my, my, my team had, had done a lot of research on the Habitudes book. And you know, in the book, you talk about a generational gap in, in, yeah. as far as collaboration is concerned, you know, making synergy, making teamwork even more challenging than ever. Yeah. You know, why, yeah. why do you why do you see that? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the, the term generation gap was first coined in the 1960s by John Poppy, Life magazine editor, because the baby boomers were the new kids on the block and they were so different from their parents. Right. Well, I think the gap, Darius, has gotten larger with time. Because the screens in our life have gone from public to private. Hmm. Think about the 1960s for a minute. Um, I remember as I was a young kid in the 1960s. So the one screen we had in our house was a television. 
It was mostly black and white in the very beginning. And the whole family would gather around the television and watch I Love Lucy or the Andy Griffith show or, you know, something like that. And but we all gather around, watch the show together and then talked about it afterwards or laughed hmm. together or whatever. Fast forward, the screen became many screens in our house, not every family, but usually you had maybe a screen in the master bedroom, a screen in the living room, a screen in the den a screen, and you could watch different shows and television programming was targeted to teenagers, to adults. You know, it was edgy with laugh in. It was, it was this or that. Now think about it. We've all got a smartphone in our hand and that screen is very private. I mean, when I say private, I mean very much niched to me. I've right. got an inst- a teenager goes, I got an Instagram account that my mom and dad know about, but I got four Finsta accounts, fake Instagram accounts. They're personas that I've made up. Mom and dad have no idea. So all I'm saying is the way that life is niched today, we may have fundamentally different streams of people we're hanging out with, niches of demographics we're hanging out with. And so we can come to a workplace and have a Gen Z 22-year-old, an Xer or a millennial, and then an Xer, then a boomer. Maybe there's a builder generation that's still working at 76 years old. I'm telling you, we have so much to glean from each other, but we're polarized right now because we tend to think differently, listen to different music. We're on different social media platforms. And so I'm trying to help bring the generations together so what was once polarized can now be synchronized and we gain from each other in that workplace. That's my goal as I work. Interesting. I have eight Finstagram accounts just so we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they blocked me because I kept taking too many. No. <laughs> you know what it was? I'll tell you what it was. I got invited to be on this really popular podcast called Dropping Bombs, but Brad Lee, okay. and he, and he okay. says, well, you have one Instagram and then your, which is Whoop Darius based off the song Whoop. There it is. And then I have King Darius on Twitter. And then I had okay. the Darius show on TikTok. And he said, you got to have one. You can't have, you can't have all these different handles, Darius. It's, it's confusing. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. said, well, I said, well, man, I, I'm not trying, you know, I, I'm new to this influence stuff. And so I, so I went and I, and I kept, I couldn't find one where there was all three of the same. So I kept trying new, new names. I came up with tons of them though, but anyhow, I, I was half kidding. Um, yes, yes, <laughs> um, yes. That's hilarious. So I, I, you know, I try. Um, yeah. I want to ask you a question though. So as a leader though, we're talking about generation gaps and, yeah. and, and, and I, and I, I think I hear what you're putting down. I'm picking up what you're putting down, which is in the past, there was generation gaps too. I don't think like the hippies yeah. in the sixties were like, had it much in common with yeah. their world war two parents who had anything yeah. in common with their, you know, turn of the century parents. Right. Yeah. So I think yeah. the generation gaps have probably been around for a fair amount of time. Um, probably yeah. more so in the last 200 years than probably prior to that. But, but I, I think what I'm picking up that you're putting out is that technology has yeah. isolated people more, which is ironic yeah. Um, really and, and that's exacerbating this generation gap. So let's assume that social media and technology and me getting things the way I want it my way separately from my parents because of this phone I have is creating more isolation. It's creating less connectivity. It's creating more of, you know, I guess, friction potentially or less of empathy or understanding between the generations. How do we close the gap? Like, how do we do it at work? How do we do it at home? What are your thoughts on this? How do, how do we make change happen? Yeah, it's it's the ultimate question right there. In in the the new book I have coming out, I try to answer that very question because it's the sixty four thousand dollar question. 
Well, the first thing I would say is we need to stop as much as we can stereotyping. Because we're not willing to think deeply a lot of times, we look at someone from another generation, we see them doing something we don't understand or listening to something we don't understand, and we start stereotyping. Think about this. Haven't we all, listeners, heard this? All those builders are just antiquated. All baby boomers are just stubborn. All Gen Xers are you know, skeptical. All millennials are narcissistic. And all Gen Zers are fragile snowflakes. I mean, come on, haven't we heard at least one of those along the way? And that's a stereotype. They're not all, and we know better, but we do it anyway. So what if we switch the, the narrative? What if we said, oh my gosh, those builder generation old folks, oh my gosh, they got so much to add. They're so, they're so loyal and, they're, and they've got so much to offer that, that sage wisdom. Baby boomers, yeah, they can, some can be, some can be stubborn, but oh my gosh, they got coaching and stories to tell and they've been through so much. They've got so much value to add. If we just listen, they've grown up in similar times, but decades ago, Xers, oh my gosh. Yeah, some might be skeptical, but they've got pragmatic wisdom and they have contrarian points of view. If we just listen to them, they could probably lead us through some of the stuff we're going through right now because they were often latchkey kids growing up. Millennials, yeah, some might be narcissistic, but oh my gosh, they've got hope and they've got optimism and they've got you know confidence. Oh my gosh. And then Gen Zers, oh my gosh, 72% of high school students today want to be an entrepreneur. They, they've got entrepreneurial spirits. They've got hacker mindsets. And it's not just technology that they're hacking. They're figuring out how to get behind systems and doing this better. So when I've worked with companies and helped them get past the stereotype and really get into what kind of value these have, it is amazing. So here's my advice. Ditch the niche. We've got to ditch the niche. We've got to have water cooler conversations with people from other generations, not just the people that think like us, vote like us, listen to the same music, think the same way. That's just not even healthy right there. Ditch the niche. We need to start reverse mentoring uh, couplets. So have you heard this term reverse mentoring, Darius? Um, uh, you know, I haven't, but is that is that where like... So I have a f friend that said that everyone should have three different mentors. One, someone yeah. that's like older than them and more successful, yeah. someone who's a peer and someone who's younger. That's, is that, yeah. is that part of it? It's, it's, in, it's the same gene pool as that. So the term reverse mentoring was actually coined, as far as I can tell, from Jack Welch way back in the 1990s when he was hmm. CEO of General Electric. Here's what was happening that led him to this marvelous idea. So back in the 1990s, he had some, you know, 58, 59, 60-year-old executives. And computers were new back in the 90s. They were just making their way into the marketplace. Well, his 60-year-old executives didn't want to use a computer. They had their pad of paper and their pen, and they were fine, you know. But he had some new college graduates from MIT that were coming on board at GE. And they were very at home with computers. And Jack Welch knew that computers were going to be a thing in the future. So he matched up his, let's say, 58-year-old executive with his 22-year-old young professional, put them together, and said, I want you both to mentor each other. So the 60-year-old was obviously pouring into the younger one, saying, here's how this company works, and I think I can help you accelerate your growth and avoid some of the problems I had. But you mentor me, 22-year-old in you know how to turn a computer on and how to use this device and that device it worked out brilliantly 
And now companies that I meet with and consult with are doing reverse mentoring relationships all over the place. And it's so, so brilliant to see 20-somethings mentoring 50-somethings, and yet those same 50-somethings have value, obviously, to add to those 20-somethings. But here's what we're finding. The age of authority is dropping with each generation. It Mm. used to be if you were back, you know, 60, 70 years ago, your shelf life of your job was 10 years. Nothing much changed in 10 years. Today, oh my gosh, we got Mark Zuckerberg starting Facebook in his 20s, right? Or Google or or, uh, Zappos or whatever. The, The entrepreneurs are younger. So here's what we're finding. We need modern elders and digital natives getting together. And, and, and that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's just what we're, we, we need the old, we still need the old for sure for emotional intelligence issues, but we need the young because they're coming up with ideas that are zany to that baby boomer, but that's exactly where culture's going. So I'll stop talking there, but I'm telling you, this is what we've got to, we've got to find a way to make this work where we're not off-putting to different generations because we only see it one way. It's both and not either or. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I just heard, I actually just heard three different things than what you just said. First of all, I really appreciate this idea of modern elder. I have a friend, uh, Chip Conley, he's a former guest on the show, yes. who started the Modern Elder Academy, right? Love that guy. And so yeah. and, and Chip's Chip, and Chip was brought into Airbnb to work with Brian Chesky. He was his, essentially his yeah. coach. Um, and yeah. for the people that don't know that this about Chip is Chip ran Joie Hotels in California, largest boutique hotel yeah. firm in the country. Um, yeah. which is why that would have been relevant for him to mentor Brian. Now, the flip yeah. side of that is Brian was an, an expert at this emerging technology of a shared hotels, if you will, which we now call yeah. Airbnbs and yeah. you know, VRBOs. Yeah. So, so I love this idea of the merging of the modern elder who's been there, done that yep. with the person that's creating the future, right? Yeah. And, 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 yeah. I, and I love that idea. The second thing I heard you say was empathy like having yeah. empathy and, 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 and yes. I guess a high emotional intelligence and you didn't say that specifically, but that's what I picked up, which is like, look, no. we need to have more of that because yeah, like get off my lawn. I know better than you is not yeah, going to yeah. work. That's a close, close yeah. mindedness. That doesn't make sense. The flip side of that's like, yeah, boomer. What is it? What do they, they make jokes about? Like, you know, like okay, boomer. Like, okay yeah. boomer. Yeah. See, I'm not yeah. a boomer. Yeah. So I, 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 yeah. I'm not listening. I, I'm, I'm the gen Xer. That's like, yeah, shut up millennial. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you yeah. know, I listen, I was born in 78, which means I graduated high school in 96, which means when I graduated high school was the tip of the spear of the beginning of the internet. Right. So yeah. I'm the first generation. I'm the last yes. generation that played, played outside. And I'm the first yeah. generation to, to be on the internet. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm like a very rare generation. So I understand both. I fl- I'm yeah. fluent in both languages. Um, yeah. And so, and so, but I hear what you're saying, which is, we have to be empathetic and I guess appreciative of each other's differences yeah. so that we can gain yeah. maximum value. Am I hearing you yeah. properly? Absolutely. In fact, let me volley back with this statement. Technical skills depreciate. 
social skills like emotional intelligence appreciates, but we don't act like it. Mm. That in itself is is the dilemma we have. We we want tech skills, but tech skills are going to deep. I mean, we're going to have to reinvent ourselves several times before our career is over. But I'm telling you, emotional intelligence, social skills, interpersonal skills, just upreach. In fact, I would say the higher you go in your position in your organization, the more emotional intelligence is going to be critical for you to develop. But we got to learn it. And and that this the book New Kind of Diversity that I wrote is all about building those social and emotional skills that we're going to need if we're going to move up this this proverbial corporate ladder. Yeah, so let's talk about so so you have a new book and so I'm sorry, can you do you mind repeat? It's not out yet. What, yes. what, so I know it is out or yeah. it's coming out. No, it's going to come out next month. Uh, the name of the book is A New Kind of Diversity. So we talked okay. forever about you know, ethnic diversity, and we need to keep talking about that. Gender diversity, need to keep talking about that. Income diversity, for sure. But I think generational diversity is a thing. Uh, you just joked about the OK Boomer, and we've all heard about how to confuse a millennial. Hashtag how to confuse a millennial. Uh, hashtag OK Karen, where, you know, Gen Zers are making fun of Gen Xers, you know. But I'm telling you, the fact that it's a thing on social media tells us it's a thing. And right. um, far too often we have four and five generations working together or at least attempting to work together, but we're not, we're not finding the synergy that we know must be there, but we're, we're polarized instead of synchronized. So my goal in this book is just to help these different generations really learn to collaborate and, and not be off-putting to each other and just tolerating each other on you know Monday through Friday. And so when, when you look at um, the book and, and, and like, is it, is it really like a blueprint on, or like kind of tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Like what can a reader yeah. expect if they're, you know, first of all, I guess, who's the reader for, is it for like a senior level yeah. manager? Is it for a mid-level manager? Is it for the CEO? Who's the reader and, and what can they expect to get from this book outside of the high level of, Hey, I got to understand the different, you know, yeah. generations yeah. and how might I work with them better? I did write it to leaders for sure. Although I think anybody reading it could benefit. We had a lot of, um, you know, uh, uh, prototype uh, uh, beta testing uh, of, of, the, of the research behind it. But I wrote it to a leader to be an encyclopedia and a dictionary on the generations. So an encyclopedia, you can read and say, ah, oh, I understand what shaped the boomers now, you know, in their early years and why they might think this way. Uh, I understand Gen X. I understand Millennials. I understand Gen Zers. I even have an appendix that says an early introduction to Generation Alpha, which is not in the workplace yet, but you might have them as children. And you do, Darius, right? You've got a Gen Alpha. I, okay. Yeah. So it's it's a, an encyclopedia to help people understand. You could use it as a reference book to say, I just want to read about the Millennials. I am not understanding those people. But a dictionary, because we have grown up in different worlds, we need different words. To connect with them. So I try to offer that as a, yeah, it's a dictionary and encyclopedia for any leader to say, I want to better understand my people who are in this very workplace, but I don't yet understand them. Wait, wait. So, so I, I you just, I mean, you, you, we don't know each other that well yet, but I do have kind of a, 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 a deviant mind. So okay. is, is there an actual dictionary of like vocabulary for the generate for each generation? So like I go in there and know what slang they're saying. Like well, <laughs> yeah. So here's what we've done. I do offer some of that, but I know the slang is going to change over time. So I do uh, offer some terminology, but we have created an assessment that's absolutely free called the GQ. 
Okay, the GQ. So it's your generational okay. quotient you can measure. So are you are you good at connecting with boomers, Xers, millennials, Gen Zers? And uh, in this forty-one question assessment, you can take it and then get a a, a, a report back and, and within five minutes in your inbox, where you can see, ooh, I'm I'm really good with these guys, but not so not so great with with these guys. And then we offer a bit of an action plan on how to better connect with. Uh, and it, with with your language to these different generations, so I would love for people. It's free, so I, I'm not making a dime off this. But um, it's called the GQ assessment. If you went to newdiversitybook.com, you can find that assessment. Newdiversitybook.com. Okay, uh, new. Di- so, so I can go take this right now and see how how yes. how uh, how good I am at speaking Gen Alpha. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, I, 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 cause my kids, I, I love my, my 12 year old, yes. like loves, okay. loves talking about all the Karens. So I, okay. I get to yes. hear about yes. yes. Dad, That's you're being point. a Karen. I'm like, I'm not yes. a Karen, bud. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so crazy. That's fun. No, it actually is um, an assessment for four generations, boomers, Xers, millennials, and Gen Z. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gen alpha will, will come in the second edition once they're in the workforce. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. And the second thing I was going to bring up for, uh, if we do have any millennials or um, any uh, Gen Zers who are listening, an encyclopedia is a book that used to be, that they used to have back when I was a kid, when you didn't have the internet to look stuff up, you had to go get the book and open it. And that's, that was our version of Google. It was a book. Imagine if Google was, was 25 books that people sold door to door. That's what an encyclopedia. I know it sounds like Wikipedia, which is based yeah. off the word encyclopedia, but that's just for you Gen Xers or Gen Zers and and uh, and uh, millennials. I, I wanted to educate you before we got off the show. There you um, go, <laughs> man, um, Tim. So, um, wow, what what this has been so much fun. I really appreciated having you here. I, I know the book's coming out. Can, can we get the date of the book and where people can go if they want to grab a copy of it or any of the other work that you're doing right now? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, the book will be released officially October 25th, 2022. And um, it's a new kind of diversity. Uh, and if they, yeah, if they went to new, newdiversitybook.com, they can find it or, or Amazon or wherever books are sold. Uh, but we do have a lot of bonus stuff. If they go to newdiversitybook.com, uh, they're going to get a, a 30 minute video of me teaching on it. So if they want to share it with their team and then start a conversation, um, they can. And then of course, yeah, content. There's a generational chart in that book that I'm very excited about where in two pages, I just have nothing but a chart that talks about the different market each generation represents, the different mindset they each start their career with that might be a very helpful a- explaining. The view of technology, their view of authority is all very different. You can imagine a boomer has a different view of authority than a Gen Zer that goes, don't think I need you. I got a phone, you know, that sort of thing. So it's a lot of fun. It's a fun book as well as a research-based book that I'm hoping is really helpful. Oh, man, I'm so excited to read it. So any listener that wants to learn more, go to newdiversitybook.com. Is that correct? Yes, that's it. And you and then you can also search on Amazon or where books are sold um, under our the author's name, Tim Elmore. Um, or a new diversity book. Is that what it's called? New diversity book or a new diversity book? Uh, A new kind of diversity is the title of the book. Yeah. Oh, pardon me. A new kind of diversity. So, so the title of the book is a new kind of diversity by Tim Elmore. I got to go take this cute GQ. I I can't wait to see my generational quotient. I already know I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail millennial. I'm going to get F. (laughs) 
I'm going to get like a C minus C plus on Gen Z. I'm going to crush Gen X A plus. Yeah, you are. And, you yeah, know, you are. Yeah. It just, I'm going to kill it. It's like, <laughs> I grew up listening to Nirvana. I'm going to know this. Yep. <laughs> and then the, the boomers, you know, they're my parents. I know them. I love them. But yeah, I can't wait. And, and, and the builders, that's a new one. I, I hadn't heard that one. Um, yeah. So that is what, like people that served in like World War II and this is like the great generation. Is that correct? Well, no, that would be the seniors. The builders are those one tucked in the middle, often called the silent generation, 1929 uh, to 1945. Grew up in the Great Depression. It's my parents. Uh, and okay. then, of course, World War II. So they were called builders because they built so much out of so little. Uh, they were yeah. very resourceful. Yeah. So. Yeah. What a great generation. Well, Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a pleasure to have you here. And uh, thank you so much. I can't, I'm so excited for the work you're doing and really excited to see uh, how much impact you make with this work. Thank you, Darius. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for letting me be on your show today. Appreciate it. Oh, pleasure was ours. Guys, go get the book. Go check out uh, the website. Go get your GQ done. Hopefully, you'll, you'll do a little better on the new generation than I will. Till next time, peace out. We love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.